0: Welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today's guest is Gerson Distenfeld. Gerson works in the world of finance, but notably has been a recent World Series of Poker winner. Perhaps even more notable than winning the World Series of Poker was what he did with the winnings. He donated them all to charity. We give you Gerson Distenfeld. Okay, we are live. Welcome to the Wilds Cast, MGE's podcast. I have a fascinating fellow, uh, Gershon Distenfeld, um, who we're going to hear about, um, well, when I start interviewing him. Thank you so much for coming, Gershon. Thank you for having me, everyone. Really, really a pleasure. Um, Gershon, I'm told that you kept your focus for three hours um, and at stake uh, in this the World Series of Poker event, where you would take home more than $200,000 and... um, but your plan apparently was not to take it home, uh, but to give it to charity. Um, Gershon is the senior is a senior vice president of Alliance Bernstein, and um, he also beat out 799 other players and is a graduate from Yeshiva University, my alma mater as well. Uh, we welcome you to the Wilds Cast. Thanks so much for being here. So, um, so tell me, Gershon. I mean, it's so rare for someone to decide to give their poker winnings to, ch- to, ch- to Tzedakah, to charity. I mean, where'd you get this idea? Um, apparently you went into the game with that in mind. Tell us a little about this.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I made the final table of a big poker tournament last year and at the time the, uh, decided to do this. You know, it's kind of natural. And My wife and I have been very blessed uh, with a lot of financial means. We've been able to, to give away a lot of money give away our time as well for worthy causes. So like I, I never got, I'm a, what we call a recreational poker player. I play a few times a year. I don't have, have a full-time job. I have a family. Um, and I, I never really thought I was going to make money playing poker. I didn't necessarily know what, if I was going to be good or not. I viewed it more as entertainment dollars that I was going to spend uh, in, with a hobby and But I figured that, you know, once I did start to make money and made a significant amount of money, I made 125000 last year and then over 200000 this year. I said, you know, what, what, what better thing to do than not just to give it away, but hopefully try and, and inspire other people in the poker community, which, as you said, are real is not really known necessarily for their philanthropy, to, to give away some of the money as well.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Uh, I'm going to take a little backtrack and then we'll get back into the game. Um, you seem like a pretty observant religious Jew. Tell us a little about po- playing poker and being Jewish, religious. Is that like a Jewish thing or not Jewish thing? I know that the Gemara, the Talmud speaks about um, about not poker per se, about gambling. Um, have you done a lot of research on that? Like, what, What's your take on that whole area?
1: Yeah, I've done some. I mean, like the, the, the Gemara talks about someone who's a professional gambler which is, is, of course, whether you shouldn't understand the Gemara. So that's not uh, that's not the case over here. I think poker is actually a very, very... A poker tournament is very different than normal gambling as well. But, you know, that being said, uh, I, I don't think it's a Jewish value to gamble. I wouldn't... In fact, I'm very explicit. I, I've said I don't play in home games. I don't think it's good to play among friends. I think it'd be a real problem for people to be addicted to gambling. I, again, don't do it as a form of gambling for myself, it's more for me a form of, of entertainment. It's a challenge mm-hmm. trying to see if I can compete against, against some of the best players, and that's really not for everyone. I think the, 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 what I want to get through to everyone is the, the message is not that you should strive to be a, a great poker player like, like me, and it's not even necessarily that one should give away their winnings in anything, although I do believe everyone should be giving charity each according to his or her ability to do so. But it's really the the, the the lesson, I think, here is that wherever one finds themselves in life, you're going to have a hobby, you're going to be put in a circumstance, whatever it is, you have the chance to sanctify God's name, to make a Kiddish Hashem, or God forbid, the opposite. And, you know, I I think that's what I tried to do here, tried to to make something that you're right every Wilds. poker is not a holy pursuit, and it's not something, again, I would encourage most people to, to participate in. But... You know, if you can make a Kiddush Hashem in the poker arena, you should be able to do it really in any arena.
0: Wow. That, that's a beautiful message. And it's it's one of the, the themes, uh, honestly, underlying a lot of the podcasts, uh, interviews, which is, you know, what do you do and how are you making a Kiddush Hashem in doing so? Which is interesting because you would think something like poker, like gambling, how, how could you make a Kiddush Hashem out of it? You know, the Talmud says that one of the possible problems with gambling is that you're not contributing to what's called yeshuvu Shoolam. You're not kind of building up the world. Um, And that's the reason why, um, according to that reason, as long as you're not a professional, as as long as you're not earning your living gambling, it's okay to gamble because you you have another means of building up the world. Right. And which is what you're, you know, you're, you're, is that what you do now? You're vice president of Alliance Bernstein. You're, you're in the world of finance.
1: Yeah, I'm in mean, the world of finance. Uh, I, I co-run a business that manages about 300 billion worth of fixed income securities for clients around the world. Uh, but to, to your point right wilds, you know, life is 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 involved risk taking in all different forms. The key is to control it, right? Like anything else in life, you can do something responsibly, or you could let it get out of control. So, mm-hmm. I think gambling is a difficult thing because. It, can become an addiction for many people so you have to be very very careful about it but you know in measured ways it again is a form of recreation and entertainment for yourself there's there's room to permit
0: it wow and um i know they gave the winner a bracelet (laughs) you wearing it (laughs) i am wearing it let's see let's see it ah okay oh wow it's actually quite beautiful
1: um, yeah it's a, it's what it's, it's the most coveted thing in the poker world the world series of poker bracelet they used to give out 30 or 40 a year 30 40 different tournaments now it's up to like 70 or 80 uh, but still a lot of poker professionals do, do not have not won a bracelet including by the way the guy who coached me I ended up getting a, a poker coach when you heard you heard i was giving away money. Money to charity over to coach me for free. He's a very accomplished player, but he doesn't have a world series of poker bracelet So oh. um it's you know it, it's a little surreal that I actually won one. And I don't since I wake up in the morning like, wow, did I really win that? Um but,
0: <laughs> but um, you went but you went beyond. I mean, it might have been enough to just announce that you were giving, you know, your earnings to charity, which was amazing, but you then went ahead and you took an extra step. Uh, to ask others to give at least 1% of their earnings to charity. What what motivated you to do that? Is, has there been any response to that call?
1: Yeah, so I, you know, when, when they they do what's called as a bracelet ceremony, a, a day or two after they present you the bracelet, you get to speak for a couple of minutes. And yeah, I used my time to implore others. Uh, the, the, the message I said to the boat community is, look, you know, we're all very fortunate. You have know, the for, fortunate to have the funds, the time, and something we take for granted more than anything often is is our health. All those things line up, and on top of that, if we're fortunate enough to make a lot of money to go deep in a tournament to win a few hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is, you know, the least we could do is is give some of that back. You know, I said in I said in the ceremony, I said I prefer five or ten percent, but I'll
0: take one percent. Ah, okay. I was uh, gonna ask you. I was like, why'd you why'd you stop at one? You know, we, we believe in ten percent. <laughs> we
1: do believe in 10%, but again, like this is, you know, I, I'm trying to get,
0: yeah. I think, yeah.
1: look, I don't know what anyone does in their private life, but I, I don't know how charitable each individual is. But I think that if if every winning poker player gave away 1% to charity, then the charity of their choice would speak to them. Uh, it would help go a long way to help make the world a better place. And that, oh, yeah. That's really what, what Judaism and Yiddish pride is all about, or
0: at least what it should be about. That's amazing. Let Let, let, me, let me ask you a little about the focus. Right. there were 800 people who competed here and when it's down to you and one other guy in this three-hour match tell us how you maintained i mean do you get like in a zone are you thinking about the people you're gonna help are you thinking about your family like how do you stay up <laughs> <enough> to win <laughs>
1: that's a good question I, I it was i think it was three and a half hours uh, uh i think with, with some levity you know i was playing against a, a Belgian guy nicest guy in the world we were Choking it up, we both got all in against each other. We put our arms around each other to see the result. Uh, it was, you know, it was, that's the nice part about poker—the social aspect. So I don't—I never like playing online. Wow. I like the social aspect of poker, but you know, I—it I, I, was a long match. I, I didn't feel nervous till the very, very end. I was actually, at the last break, right before I won, um, I had a slight chip lead, out I know, was still the favorite. But I don't know—I just felt like been so long i i didn't feel that confident anymore i actually called my coach and said you know give me a pep talk he's like you know gershwin you know exactly what to do and uh you know soon after that i had won it but it was it was it was it was really surreal i was in a bit of a daze i teared up which isn't very unlikely for those that know me Mm -hmm. um but yeah something you know i i I guess one of those dreams that are within reach you know certain you know you can dream about hitting you know the, the home run in Game 7 of the World Series, but, you know, you can practice baseball all day long. Most people aren't going to make it to the major leagues. You can dream about, you know, being a great basketball player, but I could practice all day long, and LeBron James, if I played him a million times, he hates me a million times. In poker, I may not be as good as the best players in the world, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not, but I have a 30% chance of being them, 40% chance of being them. So it's a sport, uh, if you call it a sport, it's a game, whatever, that's... that's you know it's attainable to to reach the highest levels,
0: right? And, and do you have a you have like a poker face? Like, do you have to <laughs> do you have to keep like a certain look? You know, to be able to bluff your opponent.
1: Yeah, so I think I think a lot of people have very serious faces. I get, I do it more at levity. I talk a lot at the table, so regardless whether I have a good hand or a bad hand, I'm still uh-huh. gapping it up, and uh, that's that's considered my poker face. Who knows if it works or not? It's possible I give away what's known as a tell, but. Hopefully
0: not. I mean, so, do you have any like? I'm I'm thinking about the old. Uh, I did a scene. I you know we do some funny spoof um, little videos to raise money for the organization MJE. So I did a um, I did a scene. I was uh, James Bond, a Rav Menachem Ben Levi Bond. I said, <laughs> and I we did a scene. We turned our MGE room into like a like a fake casino, and I had all these like you know body movements facial expressions you know do you do you know when do you can you tell when you're being bluffed by your opponent uh
1: you know the, the good players give up well, give what's known as false tells they'll try and and make you know you never know if they're if whatever you're seeing is real or not mm-hmm. um look what poker comes down to more than anything yeah sometimes yeah if you can read your opponent that's huge but more often than not it's having to understand what's the range of possible holdings that your opponent has given their prior action. And what does your opponent think that you have based on your actions? And you can get into like this game of, of you know, go around in circles in your head. But trying to figure out that puzzle is a big, big part of what poker is about.
0: And, and let me ask you this. Do you, do you think it's a good social event? Like, a, you know, I've been tempted over the years. MGE is um, boasts 344 Shiddachs, marriages over the years. And, you know, Great. people always ask, yeah, thank God, Blian You know, we're 23 years old and um, we've just had, you know, we just have events almost every night of the week. And we're reaching out to less affiliated Jewish professionals, 20s and 30s living in the city or the surrounding areas. And I've been tempted to do a, uh, like a, a casino night. Uh, do you think that's a good way for people? I- I'm looking for ways that relax people. Like we do a ski retreat like Shabbaton every year and we go up and, you know, I find that when people come for something else and not to meet per se, the pressure is a little, you know, a little lower and it's easier for people to be themselves and meet and talk. Um, Do do you think a casino night would be because I was always reticent. I was like, ah, that's a little below industry stand, but it is raising money for tzedakah. It's just an entertainment thing like you do. It's not, you know. What, what's your feeling on that yeah
1: I th- I, look I think that's right I think that um you know the shul that I belong to down in uh, in Hollywood Florida I was doing a poker tournament for charity on ago really? mm-hmm. um and yeah it, it fits the criteria of you know you're not people are not playing for for large sums of money right you, typically you do something because you just have like a, a reasonable entry fee into a tournament and it's it's a, it's a huge it's a great social event um, and people are very much it, it's it's, yes, I think it's a kosher way, a much more kosher way of playing poker than going into a casino and be very, very disciplined about how you do it. Like I've done it. again, that, that's hard to do and not appropriate for most people, but in in an environment that's you know a good environment where you're raising money for charity, it's even better, and you're you're limiting people's losses, so to speak. That's a much, much healthier way of doing it. I think it's a positive thing to do.
0: All right. So uh, so you do. I, I'm really thinking and
1: I'll, of- I'll, I'll make you if I, can, if I if you give me enough advance notice. I'll try yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, that would be. I mean, you get to New York.
1: I get to New York uh, quite often. I should be there in a couple of weeks. But uh, I mean, I lived in New York my whole life. So we moved to Southern Florida about three months ago. Oh, that's so,
0: wow. oh wow.
1: So it's uh, yeah, I get I get to New York quite often, at least once a quarter, maybe more often.
0: Hollywood's a beautiful neighborhood, beautiful Jewish community there. Uh, I would love to do that, and that would actually be a little of a, you know, we're always looking for a little draw something a little different. You know, if, if we could say that we have uh, uh, Gershon Distenfeld, the great poker player, coming, that, that could be very cool. All right, we'll take you up on that. Um, okay, I, are you concerned? I hear that the, I didn't see the article, but I'm told that the Wall Street Journal did a story on you. Um I did. And, uh, which is pretty that's pretty unbelievable. Were you worried that everyone would would know? Um, you know, there's a very famous, I'll just tell you quickly there's a, there's a, there's a Gemara. The Talmud speaks about different um, instances when it's okay to lie because of Shalom bias. One of the times, well, we say, like, change the truth, Mishane et Shalom, to change the truth. It's actually coming up on the parshiot, But um, because we know that uh, the brothers, after Yaakov died, basically told, Um, Joseph that their father Jacob when he was alive commanded him to forgive them which never happened and Rashi says that was something they made up but the Gemara says actually the Talmud says that uh, you can lie when you go to someone's home for Shabbat meal and they ask you how the meal was so you you, if you you don't have to go off and say it was so great you can even say it wasn't so great why you know the reason (laughs) very <laughs> interesting. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I don't know the Gemara. For
0: no. Yeah, the Gemara. yeah no, the Gemara is concerned that if, if it gets out there, that this person is such a good hostess, other people are going to just want to come over. <laughs> and the person's going to get overwhelmed with Shabbat invitations and, and, you know, Shabbat crashers. We have that issue at MG. So were you nervous that the Wall Street Journal would, uh, you know, people are going to come flocking to you for handouts?
1: No, I mean, it's, it's happened anyway before the Wall Street Journal, but uh, <laughs> you know, I deal with the media a lot in my in my business job. And mm-hmm. you know th- this was a very friendly story. This was this wasn't investigative journalism. This was like kind of a feel good story for the journal to do. The reporter did. It's one I have a relationship with. I've, I've been quoting many of his articles before. Um, so it was, it was friendly. It, it, like, like anything didn't come out exactly the way I would have portrayed it. <laughs> um, but I, I think all things being considered, it was it was a really positive article, and I think showed a good side of of, of Orthodox Judaism. I think that one of the uh, this is mentioned in the article, which hopefully in a while will have the time to read at some point. It's a <laughs> short read. Um, one of the points I made in the article is I think that too often those certainly the way we're perceived, but even those internal to our community prioritize ritual over the 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 interaction between man and man, and not that rituals aren't important, it's incredibly important. But it's, you know, if you look at if you look at the at the Torah, if you look at the five books of Moses, right, there's very, very little about the things that we normally associate with Orthodox Jews. What keeping Shabbat, Khash, to Tupsuchim in the entire Torah. Yet, how many times does it talk about taking care of the yosom, the amano, the orphan, the widow, again and again and again? The first set of laws we get after Mount Sinai is interpersonal dealings, is mishpatan. And, you know, I think there's, a, there's an attitude in the Orthodox community that needs to be corrected. You know, if you put a piece of, of pork in front of an observant Jew, most of them would, like, recoil from it, would, would, would go, would, would, would not want to go anywhere near it. Well, when it comes to maybe doing a shady business deal, you know, there's a there's a reason, there's a, there's a leniency we can use or whatever. And, and our rabbis teach us it should be exactly the opposite. You're yeah. supposed to look at the non kosher piece of meat and say, hmm, that looks really, really good. I'd love to have it, but God said I can't. As opposed to when it comes to someone else's money, that you should recoil from, that you should go far from. So I think that we've lost a little bit in some of our communities. I mean, I don't want to paint the, the huge broad brush but you know we define a person who is an orthodox jew by by their ritual observance and i would argue that being a good ethical person is at least as important if not more important
0: yeah beautifully said and i appreciate you sharing that you know rabbi salvechik who i love to quote famously taught that the reason why we have this crazy rabbinic tradition that when god revealed the ten commandments at har sinai they all were revealed simultaneously. They were all set at the same time, which is something which is impossible for a human being. You and I can't say two things simultaneously. And, you know, the Rav gave a beautiful explanation because the first uh, mitzvot on the first set of tablets, which pertain to our relationship with God, should not be seen as more important than the second five mm. on the second tablet, and vice versa, because we all pick and choose on some level. We all you know, say, oh, this God must take seriously, this may not, and, and I think people do make that association, Um, that if you're an Orthodox Jew, it means that you're more careful about your ritual observance, in Adam between yourself and God, but in terms of your ethics and morality, and I and you said it beautifully, how many times does it say in the Torah to look out for the widow, orphan, and stranger, and and I was just talking to somebody, it says 36 times in the Torah to to, uh, to love the stranger, which is referring to someone who converts to Judaism. How often and I deal with a lot of converts do people who are brought into the community from the outside experience um, alienation and don't get that love? So I, I, I think it's really important. Um, now h- how would you how would you encourage people though to give more charity? That is always been a struggle. you know uh, the organization I run, Um, is for 20s and 30s. So people are starting out in their first, second jobs. Um, A lot of my students are paying off loans and they're eking out a living to be able to afford their tiny little apartment here in Manhattan. And I'm the rabbi. Come on, you got to give 10%. Now, I always tell people it's after taxes. (laughs) So if you're making $100,000 and Uncle Sam is, you know, to keep it clean, Uncle Sam is taking 50 so then 10% of 50, the 5000 dollars right. But when I say that, I I I I sometimes feel like people are gonna just their hearts are gonna stop beating. I'm gonna have to get the defibrillators out when I when I drop that on them, because a lot of our students were not raised in homes where that 10% was like a, a regular yeah. thing. So it's it's um what would you say? Because you know it's such an important Jewish value to give. Um and, yes, well, I, and, and, I, I, yeah,
1: yeah, please. I'd say a couple things very wild. I'd say one, there's more than one way to give. Um, not everyone is able to give their money. Um, not everyone makes a lot of money. Um, now, of course, one has to prioritize between what are truly luxuries and necessities, but that's a different topic. Um, but you can give your time, you can volunteer to, to help people. You can, if you have a certain skill set that's in demand, I mean, I, I know of uh, you know, a friend of mine is a dentist that goes every year, spends two weeks in Israel treating people that can't afford dental care, mm. right? So it's not only money. There's other ways to give back as well. But I think when it comes to money, I think you're right. But I think it starts with the with the education as, as, as youngsters. So part of the problem is, right, a, a 10-year-old doesn't have money to give. So no mm. one really preaches it to them. No one's looking for a big donation from the 10-year-old. Mm -hmm. However, you know, what's the implicit message that they hear? They hear about how important Shabbos is. hear about how important Kashrut is and and how important Davin is. And all these things are incredibly important. I don't mean to belittle them, but what they don't
0: hear. And by the the way, they're doing, you know, in the Orthodox world anyway, they're doing Shabbat. They're doing Kashrut. They're not giving tzedakah. That's right. You know?
1: Look, I, 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 and so I think educationally, but look, it gets modeled in the home more than anything. You know, one of the most the proudest moments my, my wife and I have had as a parent was when one of our children, for her eighth birthday party, unsolicited came up to us and said, "You know, I'd like to have my party at Tomchei Shabbos, where they pack boxes for people that that don't have don't have enough food for Shabbos." We didn't even know how she knew about it, but. You know, there's a situation as a kid, an eight-year-old kid that has no money to give her own, but she wanted to to help out others. She knew there was a need, wanted to help out others in some way. So, look, I think we have to model more of that behavior from a young age. You know, once you get, you know, once you're talking to a 30-year-old already, then, so you, in your words are wild, you're talking about I'm living in a cramped apartment, I'm not making enough money, mm-hmm. where, you know, if, if you, if you you know, no one would, the same person that wouldn't compromise, on shabbat observance you know is, if they had the same attitude with giving giving some portion 10 percent, if they can um they'd find a way yeah so i it just it's it, it i don't know that it can be done in well one fell soup i think it yeah, no,
0: it, it, it's a process i'll tell you two stories one about you talking about kids and that's a beautiful story about your daughter um was that your daughter or your son you were just saying my daughter one of my daughters And um, there was a guy who was sending his one of my supporters for many years. You know, he writes us a nice check every year. And one year he sent it over with his son, He showed up in my office where I'm sitting now. And I called him. I called the father after the son came with the check. And I said, thank you. You know, you could just put it in the mail. It was nice seeing your son. He's like, no, Rabbi, you don't understand. I want my son one day to do what I'm doing. And the only way he's going to see it is if he's part of it. And I remember to this day when I was a kid that I'm, I'm from, we mentioned before, I'm from Forest Hills, Queens. And there were occasionally people that would come knocking on our door, just looking for mezuzah. And they would knock on the door and my father, you should live and be well, will always, always bring me down while he was meeting with someone who came knocking at the door for a donation he would invite the person in. He would ask me or my brother to go get the person something to drink or eat. Always, and it became like a ritual in our home, because he wanted us to see. And and it and it has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with how much money you have. Uh, I'll right. pray the other the other story, which is really powerful to me. Growing up is my father's father, who um, was throughout his life pretty pretty much, um, you know, a poor person. I would say. I had a small little um, store, dry goods store in Alphin, Pennsylvania, where my dad was from, and he was the one that drove all the mishulachim, all of the collectors when they would come from the yeshivot in Israel. Harry Wilds, my father's father, was the one who drove him around. And he didn't have a lot to give. He was also the treasurer of the shul, but he was involved in helping to secure it for other people. So I'm I'm, I'm sharing this because I want people listening to really take to heart your message. Of, of how you, I mean, your message is, okay, you thankfully are financially stable enough to be able to give away all of your poker earnings. That's incredible. But how do we start developing the sense of giving little by little is to share stories also about individuals that don't have money that still manage to share something. And I think-
1: 100%, a, I mean, that, that's the key. You can give in many, many different ways. You can serve your talents, your time, Right. Um, my guess is I don't know your organization, that Bay was, but you have volunteers. I'm sure. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. But there's no, you know, one doesn't have to, to look and, and say, "Oh my God, I wish I had, you know, more money to give." That's great, and you, one should find within their own budget more money to give if possible. But for most people, it is more about time. It is more about their their skill set, how they can help someone else, make someone else smile. Right, you mentioned the widow, the orphan, the, orphan, the convert, right? Um, you know, so many, you mentioned uh, Shiduchim before, right? Right, you know, the many converts are not prioritized there. So helping a convert there is, is I can't imagine of a, of, a, of a greater, of a greater mitzvah.
0: I mean, it's, yeah, it, it, there's such opportunities to give. And I, I put this in my first book. I wrote a book called Beyond the Instant. And the first chapter is called, is on happiness, The studies are so compelling about how much happier people are when they give. Now, do you believe, I'm just curious, there is a verse in the Torah. I forgot the exact pasuk, but I had one of my supporters, I'll mention his name. He was a beloved member of our board. He passed away a few years ago, Meyer Offman of Blessed Memory. He used to say, Mark, the more I give away, the more I make. And then when he said that, somebody chimed in and said, you know, there's a verse somewhere in the Torah it says that have you seen that in your own life that the more tzedakah you give, the more the the, the better you do financially? Well
1: yeah, that's certainly been the story. I've always from you know, when I wasn't making a lot of money, strove to give away a minimum of 10%. Mm-hmm. Um and that certainly served me very, very well. But I, I would bring it back to the point you made also. It's not even not even the fact that you do better. That's you know, it is one of the it is one of the uh the areas you're maybe the only area you're allowed to test God in. You'll have to say, God, if I give X amount of money, you should reward me with with more money. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. But isn't a ser right? Yeah. Yeah. Um Lost my train of thought a second. I was saying, um oh yeah, the, the, the feeling of giving. You know, it's a joke in my family. when my wife and I, you know, I'll give her, you know. I'll get upset in the expenditure she she made, which wasn't a very uh, I shouldn't say upset. She get upset at me for saying that she said, I get upset. but <laughs> you know I'll question the expenditure we made and she'll be like, I don't understand. you know this was like you know X amount of dollars. you have no problem writing a 10x check without even thinking about it. And she's right, but there's a fundamental difference and it's one of the things that you, you really can't you can't appreciate until you experience it. Which is, it feels really, really good to give. Yeah. Um, it feels, it's different. I, I buy something nice for myself. How long does that make me happy for? Makes me happy for a second. Yeah. When you're in a position to give, and again, it doesn't just have to be with money. When you can make someone's life better, it could be through money, it could be through time, it could be again from a skill set that you have. Um, there's nothing that feels better. I think Robert Desler talks about that in uh, in his writings, yeah. that the word uh, ahava. I right. love comes with the word have to give the ultimate. You know, everyone thinks that you know. I mean, most people look at a relationship: what can I get out of this relationship? Yeah, I have to give something to get out of it. It's totally the opposite. The more you give in a relationship, it's true in a marriage. It's actually true in a business relationship as well. The more you give, the more you actually end up getting in the end.
0: Yeah, it's. I, I just jumped while you were speaking. I hope that was okay. I just jumped to get a copy of the, my book because I had. I found. <laughs> li- listen to what. I wrote here is exactly, uh, Gershon, what you were just saying. I said, scientific studies tell us the very same thing. We benefit neurologically from giving and helping others. The research shows that generosity, whether it's volunteering, like you said, which is really in Hebrew called chesed, and giving charity, which is zakah, benefits people of all ages, both physically and physiologic and psychologically. And I quoted here from a study... Um, recorded in the Chicago Tribune, that said that the benefits of giving are significant, according to these studies, giving lowers blood pressure, lowers risk of dementia, less anxiety and depression, reduced cardiovascular risk and overall greater happiness. Studies also demonstrate that when we even think about helping other people, we activate a part of the brain called the mesolimbic pathway responsible for feelings of gratification, Helping others releases happiness chemicals like dopamine, which is an endorphin that blocks pain signals and oxytocin. oxytocin that's called the, um, the, happy, the happy hormone, uh, otherwise known as the tranquility hormone, okay? Research shows that even just the thought of giving money to a specific charity. Okay, that's not good enough, guys. You know, <laughs> but it does. Um, and I'll mention one other thing that um, Professor... Dan Ariely of behavioral economic psychology at Duke said if you are a recipient of a good deed you may have a momentary happiness but long-term happiness is higher if you're the giver. It's exactly what you were just just saying. And and I yeah you know,
1: I I experience it all the time and it's and it's a great feeling. Um and you know we all have our selfish streaks there's no question about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have our own everyone has their own needs but there's there's nothing like giving to someone else relative to fulfilling your own need. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. people try it a little more often, not only would they do better for themselves, but they'd make the world a better place. And that is ultimately what we're here to do.
0: Well, thank you. I, I, I really appreciate the time you're giving us because, and the, the lesson, you know um, maybe that's a good way to end, to talk a little about Hanukkah coming up in, in, in less than a week. Um, you know, we give gifts to each other on Hanukkah, but, um, I'm I'm wondering if there's a way of encouraging people, you know, they're, they're, they're so, I don't want to say silly gifts. You know, we give nice little gifts around when we like the menorah, but uh, you know, the greatest gift would be giving the opportunity to another person to give because of everything we're saying right now, you know, if it really, I mean, it, it, it also, it, and it turns your your poker playing turned not only into a Kiddush Hashem, but an activity that really benefits you um, because it it allowed you to make all this money and give that money away. What is is a chut? You know, I I think that's just incredible. Uh, I want to thank you for, for coming on. If there's anything else you want to share, you know, most of our listeners are in their twenties and thirties, struggling a little with finding that next step in their career. Also learning to to grow more in their Yiddishkeit, and and I, I I think your message of giving and using whatever it is that you're good at, because you're clearly a good poker player. By the way, do you play other? Is there anything else like you? Uh, like a are you good at the blackjack table? And
1: no, I don't play any more casino games. I play backgammon, not really I mean- for money, but I play pretty competitive backgammon. That's actually my my first love. Oh, really. Yeah, is back, Po It's not as prestigious as poker. You, know, you don't win one of these nice nice bracelets for that. <laughs> um, exactly. But no, I, I think just encourage, you know, I, I would continue to encourage people to focus on. I think we spend a lot of time enhancing the ritualistic aspect of our lives. And again, I'll say it for the millionth time. I don't mean to belittle it. It's important. But to enhance all aspects, not just the giving people, just our relationships with other people. Um you know, one of the things that struck me uh, a couple of Yom Kippur's ago, as I was thinking about it, the same thing, you know, all the things that we, we, we talk, we, we tell each other that we want to, we tell God we're going to do better in. You know, we're going to daven better, we're going to learn better, we're going to, you know, keep, you know, keep the Shabbos spirit better, whatever it is. None of that is found in the vidui, in the alchetz, in the, in the uh, what's the English word?
0: The uh, confessional.
1: The confessions of Yom Kippur. It's all about interpersonal relationships, which is very strange because the, because the Mishnah and Yuma tells us that for sins between man and his fellow man, Yom Kippur doesn't forgive unless you go and actually ask forgiveness. So here it is, Yom Kippur already. You're talking to God all day long in Shul. You're not really talking to your friends anymore. And you're asking God to forgive you for sins, which the Torah tells you is only forgivable by going to your fellow man. Great so, 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 Great so what's it all about? And I, I, I can't prove this, but I think what it's all about is yes, from a technical perspective, if you want, if you harmed your friend, you can't get forgiveness from God until you go and make it right with your friend. But what does God want most from us on your on Yom Kippur? He he he's not asking us to say we're going to keep Shabbos better or Kashrut better or have more kamana when we're davening. He asks us to become better people. We're focused on me say again and again, God, I'm going to try. And harm my friend less i'm going to try and be more yashar more straight in business and and you know again I, I think i think this idea of tikkun olam of repairing the world has gotten a bad rap in orthodoxy because it became the mantra of the reform movement a long time ago to the exclusion of ritual yeah so yeah. orthodox wants to move far away from that but but it's really correct the purpose of of living a, a god-centered world and of keeping the rituals is to help make the world a better place. And, you know, so I just encourage, I encourage youngsters to get more involved in their own communities and you'll find opportunities to give that'll both help people and as we said before, you know, make you feel really, really good and feel like you're accomplishing and you're growing and you're thriving.
0: Thank you so much for that, for that message and, and also explaining beautifully, you know, what is, what is, you know if we're keeping Shabbat and if we're doing better learning and doing all of these rituals to enhance and to deepen our relationship with our creator, um, obviously we're trying to get closer to God, but the net effect of getting closer to God should make us better people to other people, and that's how you know. Because I've always wondered, you know, how would a Hasidic Jew say that they're right? How was a if a Hasidic Jew was or someone who's living a more of a religiously insular life or just a religious, an insular life in general, how is that person making the world? So they would say, I would imagine that by keeping the mitzvot, it is perfecting them. It is refining them. So now they're dealing with other people on a much, much higher level. And in that way, they're making the world a better place. So I, I, um, it's a really excellent point. And, um, and I give you a huge shikach, just like so. For a while,
1: one thing that more came to mind, just we'll take yeah. it to this past week's Parsha for a minute. Yeah. Right, famous Rashi, one of the most famous Rashi's, Yaakov Avinu says, In love on Garti, I, I, I lived with Lovon. And what does Rashi say? Rashi says, Vitariag mitzvah shamarti. And I lived with Lovon, yet despite Lovon's bad influence, I kept tariag Mitzvah. Now, whatever, I don't want to get into what it means that that Avinu kept kept all the Mitzvah before I see that. That's a whole different topic. But people ignore the second half of the Rashi. The Rashi says in, in Lovangarti vitarik mitzvasharti, the lowly madtimi maisim harun. Something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah,
0: yes, exactly.
1: Right. Yeah. So right, Fran asks, I don't understand. So a, a friend.
0: Let, me just, Said, let me translate, meaning that sorry. I lived with love in all these years. I kept the 613 and I did not learn from the evil or bad ways of Lovang, because he was a cheat. That's yeah. right. Continue, if Yusuf
1: Fran says, I don't understand, if someone kept the mitzvahs and while well, the mitzvahs is hafta, sagera, loving the stranger and et cetera, right? How did I, how is it possible? Isn't it redundant? Doesn't that by definition mean that I was a good person and didn't didn't learn from the evil ways of love? On and the lesson that Rashi is teaching us here is no, one could be in fulfillment of the technical aspects of every single mitzvah, all 613, and miss the whole point. They could still be a lousy person. They could still not treat people with the proper respect. They could still not be giving of their time and their money, right? So that's a very important lesson. That the if if and the navi says this, the prophets say this. God doesn't for people that loot and steal and are bad people. God doesn't want their sacrifices. Doesn't want their shabbos. Doesn't want their kashrut, right? So we have to know what's the purpose of the rituals. The purpose of the rituals is to refine us and make us better people. If they don't make us better people, then we're missing the whole point of why we have to keep the commandments.
0: Yeah, And we're probably not. There's something off there. There's something off there. hundred percent. That's a beautiful thing. So, in other words, um, the first part of the teaching that I kept the 613, but I also didn't learn from his bad ways. One is not necessarily implicit from the other, which, right. is, which is a really, really powerful idea. Ramban, the great Nachmanides, um, wrote this that you could be a novel, HaTorah. you could be a despicable person within the domain of the Torah, following all the rules and laws, but it's not having the desired impact. It's not perfecting us. Um, and uh, wow, I didn't really expect it to, I thought we were going to talk about poker and, and gambling. <laughs> I didn't realize. You didn't no, know. Po- poker is
1: not. Poker is not the 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 lesson here. It's not. You know, I was quoted in one of the articles. And I really mean it. You know, yes, I'm very happy I won this poker tournament, but I don't view that as. You know, on on my on my tombstone, I don't okay. want it to say he won a World Series of Poker bracelet. I want what's behind it. What the encouraging to give other people to make the sanctifying of God's name, making Kiddush Hashem, and other things. We did not You know, I'm sure we're out of time. We haven't talked about all the things I've done previously to this. I've been very involved in a lot in the Jewish community in many different ways. You probably don't remember Ray Wilds. I, uh, we met, I'm gonna say about 15 years ago now. Maybe mm-hmm. it was a little less. I had a particular issue that I need help you spend two hours with me in your office. I don't expect you to remember. Uh, yeah. I did send a thousand dollar donation in afterwards as a measure of how i Am I sorry, man? One and only donations in Manhattan Jewish experience.
0: That'll just be um, the
1: done.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry? That'll just be the first, of course. <laughs>
1: of course, of course.
0: <laughs> um, Fifteen years ago,
1: yep. You spent wow. two hours with me in your office. I remember very vividly. We were talking about a particular issue. I, uh-huh. I can remind you offline about what it was about.
0: Okay. Well, we should. We should. Uh, we got to you through Rachel, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? From you did. Office?
1: Yes. I was okay. Friendly with someone, an orthodox uh, blogger in the poker, in the poker community.
0: Uh, in the poker community. Okay, good. So I'll, we'll, we'll we have to continue this offline hundred percent. Um, this podcast has brought me back to a lot of very, very special people, I have to say, who I haven't spoken to in a long time. So I'm a big believer that when, you know, things that look like they're happening randomly are really meant to, to be. So this was very, very special for me and for our listeners to be able to, uh, hear from you you're 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 doing amazing things for the jewish people tell us just before because you just alluded to it what would you say your greatest passion what area of jewish communal involvement has been your greatest uh passion because i I know you're in a lot of different things
1: probably the realm of jewish education particularly the, the realm of affordability uh for young parents to be able to afford to send their children to yeshiva day schools which is really key to the continuity of the jewish people um and you know costs have been spiraling out of control for for not necessarily for bad reasons but actually about 10 years ago started a a new kind of yeshiva day school in teaneck new jersey called yeshiva Yeshiva of the future Um, so I, i was i was the founder behind that and spent a lot of Well, that's a good combination of where I spent both time and and money to to make that a reality, and today it's a thriving institution. It's thriving,
0: and you should just know, Gershon, that I've been been gauging success, my success, MGE's success, on how many of our graduates will send their kids to day school, even though they didn't go themselves because they weren't raised in this kind of community. Ha'atid, which is the amazing institution that you started, uh, is giving a chance for people that don't have the kind of money, who want to send their kids to day school, been turned on to Judaism, but don't have the twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a year right. that a day school could, could cost. They don't all cost that, by the way, but but many of them can. And Hatzid is 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 a phenomenal, phenomenal alternative, and to be able to get the same uh, wonderful Jewish day school experience.
1: Yeah, um, it's really it's it's. It is the same wonderful, and I would argue it's even better at 40% lower cost and in have time to go into how we do that. My one disappointment, though, and people can contact me if they're interested, is that it hasn't caught on in other communities. There are ways of doing innovative things in a more cost-effective manner, and it can only benefit our community in no a long run.
0: Oh, I, I can't even tell you, it, it's, it's the elephant in the room when I'm meeting with young couples, because my wife and I do a lot of work also with young couples um i just married a couple last night our 345th couple that's met at mje um hannah and harlan patel it was a beautiful wedding and you know it's it, even if a person has that kind of money they may not value jewish education to that degree to be I able mean, to mention filling before i i bought filling for people who could we're making a lot more money than I'll ever make in my life because it wasn't an interest to them. And then later on, once it becomes an interest, you know, they'll pay it back or pay it forward. Um, it's such an important thing to be able to somehow get those costs down. Um, and and uh, I, I I do remember now that you're connected with Hathi. That's that's really incredible. I, I've literally spoken to students about that school and it should be. I, I wish it was a national or international kind of institution where every community has that kind of
1: option well it's right over the bridge for you Ray wild so you should, yeah. you should visit it you should visit it at some point you'll see it's very innovative very different educational model you think is better and it's been around now it's had a couple of, of students go to high school their acceptance rates are higher than than the general population <laughs> um so and Parents are generally very happy, but it's worth seeing in action. It's harder to describe than to see. When we use- I,
0: I, I know it from students who might have sent their kids there, but I, I, I probably should go see it. You're right. It's um, it's so incredibly important to be able to to do that. I'll tell you one thing; you'll appreciate this. There was uh, we we tried our hand years ago at a Hebrew school at MGE. Uh, it was called MGE for Youth. Make your child's bar slash bat mitzvah for the beginning, not the end. And I had this one boy who was coming. And um, I remember we had an event for the parents to be able to meet the, the parents of the kids that were coming to the school. So it was one woman came over to me and she said, you know, you brought those rabbis in to to make a chauffeur. We brought Chabad in before Rosh Hashanah to do like chauffeur making. She goes, right. well, you know, my son goes to St. Francis here on the Upper West Side. And uh, he brought his chauffeur with him that he made here at MGE for Youth. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because, well, you know, uh, you know, he's got you know, these Franciscan monks are his teachers. And right. one of the monks felt bad. know, they have to go to mass every morning. He's a Jewish kid. And, um, and they, they, he was holding his chauffeur. So the monk was trying to be, like, inclusive. It's the Upper West Side, you know, even in a Catholic school. And he said, if you want to blow the chauffeur, so... My son blew the show for so well that he's been doing it every morning at Mass. So I said, well, first of all, it gives me a lot of nachos that M.G. produced, the first balto KF for St. Francis. But I said to the woman, why are you sending your son to a Catholic school? He's Jewish. The rabbi, I would love to send my son to a Jewish school, but do you know what the Jewish schools cost? So, yeah. um, and I, I ended up raising a couple of dollars and trying getting the... the it's and and now why is St. Francis and she wouldn't send him to a public school because the public schools in the city aren't so great you know they're better in the burbs in certain areas but um when she told me what the tuition was because the archdiocese of New York um, funds their schools and our equivalent to the archdiocese of New York does not and we leave it up to the parents themselves and
1: hundred percent Look that well, that that's the only real solution is it has to become communal funded. Just like the Gamara actually says in Gamala, that it's not the responsibility of a parent, the responsibility of a community. I actually started something called NNJ Kids back in two thousand nine in New Jersey that we'd we'd ask everyone to everyone in the community to have an automatic payment from their credit card every month to support the local day schools. They had a moderate success. We had uh, about 30% of the population signed up for it at one point, mm-hmm. but that's the real answer. The real answer is communal funding. It's it should not. And by the way, in this regard, uh, the American system is correct, right? You pay the same property taxes or in the city, city income taxes, whether you have zero kids or 10 kids in the public school system, right? right. That's the right way to go about it. We, yeah. you know, the more children that you have, and we want to encourage people to have large families and contribute to the growing of the Jewish people, the more a financial burden is upon you. And yes, it is the number one. I know you deal with youth pride more, not probably, definitely more than I do. Um, but when I talk to young young people, it's not even, it, it's bad enough they talk about living the size of their families and uh, because they know they can't afford it. It's the choice of careers too. I mean, there just aren't that many people feel like they have to go into. They have to be on Wall Street or a lawyer, or and if someone wants to, to do something that speaks to them as interest of them, but it doesn't make a lot of money, they feel like they have no place in our community, and that's a really terrible place for us to be in, and probably the biggest threat to the to the next generation of my Orthodox Jews thriving.
0: Hundred percent. I'm going through this with my kids right now. You know, if the, if you want your kids to be able to stay in the tri-state area and live sort of a modern Orthodox life or whatever. You, it's, it's expensive, man, you know, and it's so, um, yeah, we have to uh, we have to get into the UJA <laughs> and we have to change their priorities. The only way to do that is to really get involved. Um, but uh, but 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 the archdiocese, I mean, there's something to learn from them. You know, if, if we really value Jewish education, they have almost nothing from the three, four hundred million dollars a year. That the New York Jewish community raises going to um, going to uh, to jewish schools is there's something off about that hundred percent well i I didn't expect to get into this conversation you. <laughs> but you want to know something? this is a great passion and we should continue this because um you're doing amazing things and Kolkovvo with your work with Hatid. I'm sure there's a lot of other things if I picked your brain a little longer it would come out. But thank you so much and Kolka vote for um, really publicizing one of the greatest mitzvot in the Torah, which is to give. And uh, and I love how you really opened it up, not just money, but time, uh, so that really can be inclusive of our audience. And also, just to uh, say once again that, you know, the Gemara says, the Talmud says, um, that if someone is so poor that, that even if they are being... Um, Sustained by the tamchuy, which was like the ancient equivalent of a soup kitchen, they still need to give some tzedakah, right? And and getting into the habit of giving and what I just read from my book before and what you were saying about how wonderful it feels and just keeps us alive and hava hava love comes from giving. This is just so fundamental to being forget about Jewish, just being human. So you really you're bringing something incredible out through a little poker game. And I think that's pretty unbelievable. So Hashem should continue to bless you with success at the poker table, at, um, at Alliance, at, at everything that you do. And, and certainly you're amazing work with the Jewish community and with your family. Thank you so much for your time, Gershon. I'm gonna I'll get your number from Rachel, we'll be in touch.
1: <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Ray Wilds. It was a pleasure.
0: Really, thank you so much and the best of luck. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Wilds Cast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wiles. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.